you know, screens and, you know, reverses and kind of all those things, it's kind of, you got to have, we got to get the ball. Every, you know, you got to have 11 guys that are, you know, just getting after and, you know, just some of them. I think, you know, collectively, we just, we just need to be better at it. That was Broncos linebacker Alex Singleton talking about the ways in which Denver's defense uh, has to start coming together after after two subpar weeks in which they have not been able to close the deal on that side of the football. Um, and now they enter their toughest test of the season, a Miami Dolphins offense that is 2-0 and absolutely rolling with Tua Tagovailoa. And with Tyreek Hill, that is the challenge for the Broncos as they take to the road for the first time here in week three. I'm Nick Kosmider, host of the Not Another Bucking podcast. We thank you guys for joining us, watching on YouTube, or listening wherever we get your podcasts. Uh, please be sure to uh, subscribe, leave us a review, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, appreciate all the support for the podcast so far. Um, really excited today to have uh, our guest, an, an old friend of mine, Cameron Wolf, who um, you know used to work in Denver early in his career uh, as a reporter at the Denver Post covering the Broncos. He's worked for ESPN and now is at the NFL Network. Um, does great work there uh, and is based in in South Florida. So it spends a lot of time covering the Dolphins and he will be part of the, the NFL Network's, um, you know, coverage this week leading up to Broncos Dolphins there in week three. Um, so before we get to that conversation with Cam, I, I just wanted to kind of go through a couple of thoughts that I have um, early this week uh, coming off Denver's 35-33 loss to the Commanders in week two. Um, you know, you go through and you dissect some of the numbers, uh, you know, each week and each of these little uh, checkpoints to see, you know, where the team is at. And I think one thing that is encouraging if you are a Broncos fan is that Denver is leading the league right now in points per drive, 2.89 points per drive. Um, and, and, you know, that that's it, it's a better barometer than saying, uh, you know, than looking at points per game um, simply because it's a measure of sort of drive to drive efficiency for a team. And right now the Broncos are moving the ball at a rate um, that is as good as anybody in the league uh, in general. And so you you can't do that. You can't reach that um, you know level through two games with, without doing some good things offensively. And Sunday, you know, any way you slice it, scoring three touchdowns in a span of 17 plays, the Broncos haven't done that in more than a decade. So there are good things that you are seeing from this offense um, that, that despite the 0-2 record give you hope. The discouraging part, again, and talking to Sean Payton on Monday was the, the, the lack of uh, cohesiveness with, with the play calling operation. Um, it was causing the Broncos to burn timeouts in the first half. It, it, it was causing them to really kind of slowly move along on an important fourth quarter drive um, that, that really put them behind the eight ball in, t in terms of trying to chase two scores. And, and, you know, again, a lot of the things that we saw last year, we thought were relatively cleaned up pretty clean operation in week one from a tempo and play calling perspective, and then took, took sort of a, um, a step backward in week two. So Sean Payton has, has promised a few things or, or at least suggested a few things that could be in the works for changes. Uh, one would be, um, you know, reducing the verbiage. So maybe having fewer play calls um, in, into the game plan, um, potentially using a wristband for some of the longer play calls that they will still have, uh, in the uh, in the game plan for for Russell Wilson in order to again expedite that process, um, so it, it's going to be something to certainly keep an eye on. Is can they kind of keep up with this tempo that they're going to need to have in order to put Miami's defense on its heels? 
Um, the other thing too is is the is the running game. You know, coming out of that game, you look and you see that Javante Williams and Samaje Pirine combined for um, you know 13 carries, and and to me that's just not enough in a game in which you led 21 to three. Um, there, there were ample opportunities to continue that sort of run the ball setting tone that they that they just never really got to. And things went haywire fast in that game. The Broncos were up 21 to three. Marvin Mims gives you a great punt return that puts you at midfield. The Broncos do go to the run. They get a five yard run on first down from Javante Williams. You're moving. You're saying they're going to they're going to go down and make this game 28 to three. He gets a seven yard run to pick up a would be first down. But Ben Powers gets a holding call. On the very next play, Russell Wilson fumbles the ball. Washington takes over, goes down, scores a touchdown, gets the two-point conversion, and it's now 21 to 11. Um, the Broncos, you know, on their on their next drive, go three and out. And to start the third quarter, now now only leading by a touchdown, um, get sacked on on a on a first and ten play, get sacked for nine yards, and now that drive is pretty much already poisoned. So they just sort of had this opportunity that just really went away quickly to establish this run game. And the result of that was in the second half, the, the Washington just being able to kind of pick their spots to really just pin their ears back and go after Russell Wilson. The result was seven sacks. I believe five of those came in the second half. So that is, that is really the area of opportunity that they have to, whether they're, whether they're tied, whether they're ahead, whether they're even just down a score, is to not let themselves get away from this from this run game. That that is, has to be their identity if they want to protect Russell Wilson far better than they did last week. Defensively, we'll get to it with with, with Cameron here in a minute. Um, the 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 test is is phenomenal with this Miami Dolphins offense. Tyreek Hill is is arguably the best non quarterback player in the league. Um, maybe the best player in the league. He, he's on pace for twenty seven hundred yards and twenty six touchdowns. Um, you know, it, it's fun to play with those on pace numbers here early in the season, but he is a guy that is absolutely dynamic and that offense ran the ball a lot better against the Patriots in that week two win on the road on Monday night football. This is a pretty balanced and complete team, particularly on the offensive side of the ball and Denver's defense, which is dealing with injuries, um, you know, which has had trouble in the red zone, which is having trouble, um, you know, stopping screen screen plays have a lot to figure out against a Dolphins team that is going to exploit every weakness that they potentially have. So huge game for that side of the ball to show that, that these first two weeks they can make a jump from. Um, so we'll be, we'll be really keeping our eye closely on that as the week goes on. So let's now get into uh, our conversation with, with, with Cameron Wolf. But first I, I, I want to play a clip of Lloyd Cushenberry talking a little bit more about the need for better communication um, in the play calling uh, operation for the Broncos. I don't think that'll be a a huge uh, problem for us moving forward. Uh, yeah, a few times during the game, there was some problems getting that in and out of the huddles, and you know uh, that's when all of us, us as players, and you know all the coaches been on the same page, communicating, getting the personnel in and out fast enough. So uh, yeah, all eleven on the field and everyone involved in the sidelines guys have to be better, you know, when it comes to communicating in that phase. All right, now a warm welcome in to our guest this week on Not Another Bucking Podcast. It's Cameron Wolf of the NFL Network, former Denver Post reporter uh, covering the Broncos out here in Denver, former ESPN reporter uh, covering the Dolphins, and has certainly been around that team for several years now. Cam, thanks so much, man. It's good to see you. Absolutely. Great to be on, man. It's a reunion, reunion week for me. I started my career in Denver and 
uh, hanging with Nick. And so we bring it all full circle. This is actually the first Broncos game that I've covered since I covered the team. So is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously James Palmer lives out here, so he ends up doing a, a lot of the stuff we see him around, but, but reunion, I think is, is sort of the, um, you know, a great word for this game, right? Like Mike McDaniel, Colorado kid grew up out here, you know, was a Broncos ball boy. Vic Fangio coached the team for three years. Bradley yep. Chubb got traded to Miami last year. A lot of a, a lot of great sort of reunion connections in this game. Yeah, man, you you hit it on the nose. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how much the the emotions, the ties, the connections have a factor in this game. And you mentioned Mike McDaniel for the the ball boy story, story, and he'll probably talk about that today. But I'm eager to see the Vic Fangio connection, obviously, because. He was the head coach there. It didn't go so great. And, um, you know, like any guy, when you get fired somewhere, I'm sure he has a little extra chip on the shoulder to prove, you know, that they were wrong. And so that's going to be that's going to be fun. They have an offensive line coach in Butch Berry, who had a very rough right. ending in Denver as well. Um, and he's had a, a good start through two games in Miami. So a lot of different uh, fun connections here. It's also a very important game for the Broncos at 0-2, who need to win and it gets a red hot Dolphins team that's been two and zero and flying all over the place. And so uh, I think it's a, it's going to be a fun matchup. I think the Broncos will give them a better challenge than maybe people expect. Yeah. Well, let's start there with, with Vic Fangio. Um, you know, you mentioned three years from 2019 through 2021 got fired after the 2021 season in which they were seven and 10, but they were in the playoff maze. They were seven and six. Teddy Bridgewater ends up getting hurt. They lose their last four games, miss the playoffs. He gets fired. They bring in Nathaniel Hackett. We know that goes very poorly in the one year, uh, Russell Wilson's first year as well. Bottom line is the Broncos are 5-14 and 14 since they hired, fired Vic Fangio. Um, and, and he took the year out just like Sean Payton did. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm curious what you've seen, Cam, from, from how he has um, sort of started the foundation of, of that defense that, that has some talent but certainly needed to improve this year. Um, what just have, what can you just say about, uh, Vic's overall impact with that unit and how they're starting to kind of, uh, coalesce with a scheme that is, is complicated when you're first installing it. Absolutely. Nick. So it was interesting. I spent a lot of time with them in training camp and, um, you can tell immediately that this is a Vic Bangio defense, you know, uh, last year I was watching the same team at camp and the offense, uh, was treading up and down the field with ease. Um, which they do against most teams. And this year, that was not the case. Defensive front was getting a lot more pressure. Uh, and the, the the sort of the tempo of the Vic Bangio defense was seen early because they would show you completely different things pre-snap than they would show post-snap. And so you could already tell. Um, and then players started to gel with him because it takes some time. He's an old school guy. He can be a little bit of gruff. But I started to talk to some of the guys about his humor um, or lack of humor in their perspective and uh, and just sort of his impact. And so I was actually surprised week one when they came out and really laid an egg against the Chargers. Chargers went up and down the field, particularly on the run game against them. And then week two against the Patriots, they looked a lot more like what I expected them to look like uh, shutting down New England. And so you hope that it was more of a one game aberration. The Dolphins do uh, week one and that week two is more you know, re representative to who he is. Um, but I think the key thing for this Dolphins team is they've always been in the Brian Flores era, a blitz-heavy, man-heavy team. We've seen them over the last um, few months, and particularly the first two weeks, shift more to a zone coverage scheme and use more of their front to get home. And so that's definitely uh, all Vic Bangio. Yeah, I was I was looking at those numbers uh, this morning, and, and I think they're 
they're down somewhere around, you know, 22nd, 21st in, in blitz rate, where usually yeah. they, the last few years, have top been three, yeah. Top five, <laughs> and yet they're yeah. still getting the pressure, top 10 in pressure rate because of those front four. Um, and it's been a lot of guys. I think six different guys have already accumulated a sack for the Dolphins. But I'm curious about Bradley Chubb, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. when you talk about that connection, you know, drafted number five overall by the Broncos in 2018, right. had that great rookie year, then tore his ACL, came back, made the Pro Bowl in 2020, then had some more injuries that he dealt with, was playing really well in, in 2022. And that's part of the reason that the Dolphins uh, wanted him and that they were willing to give away that first round pick. Um, which the, the Broncos turned around and used to, to be able to hire Sean Payton might not have been able to do that had they not had that pick. So it's kind of wild how these things come around, but, but Chubb obviously, you know, I think probably struggled a little bit in this, when he got to Miami last year, it's, it, you know, the first time he had been traded a, a, a completely different scheme. How, how would you assess where he's sort of come along, um, you know, and whether he was eager to have, to have Vic back, um, you know, calling a defense that he was in. Absolutely. So there was a, a a very interesting period last season where Bradley Chubb just wasn't playing well, and you started to wonder, did they make a mistake? Um, but then you bring in a Vic Fangio and a guy who, although he didn't spend much time with him, Bradley Chubb was hurt most of the time he was there, yeah. knows him and knows the way he wants to play. And I'll tell you what, the last couple of weeks of training camp, I saw him play the best I've seen him play in a Dolphins uniform. And it hasn't translated to big sacks yet in the season, um, but I anticipate the pairing of he and Jalen Phillips, who's the other young edge rusher on the other side, to be a really, really good pairing for, for Vic Vangio and the reason why they won't have to blitz as much. Um, Bradley Chubb's not going to be your 15-sack guy. He hasn't shown that yet throughout his career, but you want him to be the consistent 8-10 to 10 sack guy, a guy who can set the edge, a guy who can bring pressure. Um, and I, they think he can be that guy. And so um, Bradley Chubb has handled it well. Um, I, it's been interesting watching him this offseason and how he's built more relationships with some of the guys um, in the locker room, particularly Jalen Phillips, because you mentioned it. You get traded midseason, and there's no excuses, but it's tough. You know, you're, you're, you've always been in Denver. You start over in a new city, a team that needs you on the fly and a scheme that you're not completely familiar with. And I don't know if he ever felt at home yet. This offseason, I think he felt more at home. He felt more in his zone. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see him go against a couple of his former guys. On, yeah, uh, and it, on it, it probably doesn't help that, I mean, or just from sort of the getting comfortable standpoint is you go over there and they give you the contract right away. So now it's Absolutely. just like, not only do we give pressure. It, yeah. Yes. So it just it just sort of ramps up right away. But but obviously he had the, the great forced fumble against the Patriots, had a sack um, as well. Want to switch it over to the, the the offensive side of the football, and you know Mike McDaniel is a guy that I think in that first year having Tariq Hill in that offense last year, they, they kind of took the league by storm. Um, mm -hmm. We're doing just a lot of really impressive things with the way they moved guys around. Now defenses have the off season to kind of study for him, but it already mm -hmm. seems like in these first two weeks, Mike McDaniel has has introduced all kinds of new things. What, what's been the biggest difference that you've seen be, being there all the time in this offense? You know, or I know no, it's still early in 2023, but versus kind of what what they were doing a little bit last year. Great question. They've evolved. Uh, that's the biggest thing to me. 
Um, you know, the, you mentioned the motion. They run motion more than any team in the league. And Tyreek Hill in motion, especially the way he runs towards the line of scrimmage, almost feels like it's unfair, yes. uh, given what his skill set is. Um, but what's interesting is all offseason teams have had a chance to watch what the Dolphins did. And I talked to coaches throughout the league who essentially said that they felt like they would catch up to some of the stuff McDaniel was doing as far as speed, as far as moving guys um, over the middle of the field. The Dolphins um, love to run the ball, love to pass the ball over the middle of the field. Tua gets the ball out with quick anticipation, right? And so you saw week one, the Charters team, a team that had success against them last year, try to do some of those same game plans where they say, hey, we're going to shade our corners inside to mm -hmm. and jump some of those inside slides slant routes that Tua loves to throw. And the Dolphins torched them. Dolphins torched them. They adjusted. They found a way. They had they put some wheel routes on the backside of those slant routes to kind of give them some options. And Tua, several times in that game, when his first read wasn't there, when his timing was taken off the track, adjusted. And he made that play that was kind of on a highlight reel over and over throughout the week where he, his receiver fell down. He steps up into the pocket, throws a 47-yard pass to Tyreek Hill on third and 10 to essentially lead in that go-ahead touchdown. So that was the first step. And then this past week, we saw the Patriots do a lot of three deep safeties and say, we're going to take away Tyreek Hill. He went for 215 yards. We're going to take away one explosive plays two Tyreek Hill, and three in the middle of the field. And the Patriots had more success than any team probably since the Chargers last year. Tyreek Hill had 40 yards. They didn't have anything deep in the passing game. And the middle of the field was pretty much shut down. And Tua adjusted. McDaniel adjusted. He threw the ball outside the numbers, which is something that people say Tua can't do. And so to me, the evolution of this team, and the other thing, they went to the running game. Raheem Mostert had an amazing day too, right? And so the, the thing for this team is if you evolve – when teams take away your best players and your best plays, I think that makes you a more dangerous team, a true contender. And at times last year, they didn't evolve. The biggest difference so far this year is, is their ability to adjust. Um, you know, and you mentioned, you mentioned the run game, like Raheem Mostert had the two, the two touchdown runs um, and, and they, they've used a lot of different backs going into the, to his tenure there. Mike McDaniel came over as the run game coordinator from San Francisco, who yes. just really kind of revolutionized a lot of the way, um, yeah, I've even seen it some with the Broncos now, this, this sort of the inside toss play where you, you know, you have the whole defense taking that step outside, but then that toss comes right back in the middle. He, you know, he kind of championed that a lot when he was in San Francisco. Um, where To me, that that seems like the next evolution for, for Miami's offense is, is really getting that to click along with everything else. Do you, do you, is, that, is that part of the success that they've had in the first, the first two weeks? Absolutely. That was the biggest criticism from Dolphins fans of, of the offense in year one, the that the running game, that Mike McDaniel, his baby, essentially was non-existent. And the biggest thing he said was it was less the running backs and more of the opportunity. They were 31st in attempts, which essentially means that Mike McDaniel, like probably many of us if we were a coach, fell in love with throwing the ball to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle probably <laughs> more, more than, uh, more than he wanted to. But, but again, it's easy for me to forgive him because – I watched Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle on a regular basis. Right. Um, but they, they just did not run the ball frequently. And they were actually middle of the pack as far as efficiency, mm -hmm. uh, bottom of the league as far as attempts. And he promised the running back that they would run the ball more this year. And we saw it last game when teams say, hey, we're going to take away certain elements, particularly Tyreek. 
can you be able to run the ball? Raheem Mostert had a great day, um, and I think he's going to continue to be the guy they lean on. It's interesting with Raheem because, you know, we're in a fantasy football society, and people kind of turn their nose up at Raheem because he's 31 years old. He's right. always hurt or has an injury history. It's like, how can you trust this dude? And it's no secret the Dolphins, you know, flirted with Jonathan Taylor. They flirted with Dalvin Cook. They flirted with a lot of different running backs. And so it's like – you know, how can you trust that he will lead your running game? Well, they do. And he has been the guy. He was the guy last week, and he'll be the guy this week. And so I do anticipate the Dolphins saying, hey, if you're going to do the Patriots plan, if you're going to say we're going to take away Tyreek, we're going to run Raheem. If you're going to say we're going to take away Raheem, we're going to run Tyreek. And and so that's what makes them dangerous because once you have two or three different options, and uh, really three, then it becomes hard for defenses to pick and choose uh, going forward. So I do think that run game will continue to be a factor there and keep an eye on Devon A. Chain, their rookie running back. Um, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll move up to the number two role with Salvin Ahmed uh, injured and, and probably not playing this week. He has another level speed and pass catching ability too that should add another element to this offense. And then about the injuries, we know that Jalen Waddle is in the concussion protocol. Um, what about Teron Armstead and, um, and uh, gosh, tip of my tongue. Oh, Jalen Phillips, who we were talking about earlier. Um, likelihood that those two will be back in week three? I think there's there's a good likelihood. Um, both of those guys did pregame uh, workouts against the Patriots, and they were close, but the team wanted to hold them out out of precaution. Teron Armstead in particular, he's a guy who has been hurt a lot throughout his career, and the goal for him is usually to get to the end of the season. He's been dealing with several injuries, and so the goal for him is to get closer to 100%. He wasn't there yet, and so they gave, they're gave they going to give him another week. Jalen Phillips was actually pretty upset. He thought he should be able to go. They, again, wanted to hold him out, and um, it worked out because they won the game. So I think you see both of these guys practice uh, maybe as early as today, but definitely some point this week. And I think they'll both have a decent chance to go, barring any setbacks. Jalen Waddle, obviously, we'll keep an eye on. Yeah. Uh, concussion protocol is, is what it is. So we'll see how he goes through the, uh, the concussion protocol. And probably certainly not thrilling for the Broncos to hear that Jalen Phillips could be back, given that they just gave up <laughs> seven sacks um, to Russell Wilson. has been continuing to be the huge problem. They jumped out 21-3 to because they were able to dictate the tone of the game. They ran the football. They worked off play action. And Russell was able to, in that setting, he still is, he is still as dangerous. But when they started losing the lead, uh, even had the commanders go ahead, it put the Broncos in a situation where, you know, defense and that really good front line for Washington was able to pin its ears back and get after him. I'm just curious, Cam, your, your, your sort of view from afar of this, this team that, that used to cover back when they were kind of first starting this slide. And as you're kind of getting ready, um, you know, to, to help NFL Network's coverage of this game, what is what is just sort of the things that you that are intriguing to you or that you will have your eye on uh, from a Broncos perspective this week? Yeah, just like everybody, I want to see Russell Wilson's uh, continued growth with Sean Payton. I think that's a storyline we talked about a lot this offseason, whether, whether I was on, you know, morning shows like Good Morning Football or just in general. We're trying to see how can Sean Payton fix Russell Wilson. And one thing I've noticed, and you can tell me you're closer to it, but I do think that he has been better so far than what he was last year. You know, the 0-2 record kind of clouds things. Um, but when I watched them on tape, they were not as, like, undisciplined and, and bad as I thought they were that they were given their record. They actually were right in that game. You could argue they should have won that game before the, the commanders came back. Um, but I think Sean Payton mentioned it. It still looks like there's a little bit of a chemistry that has to come together, whether it be – um, what Sean Payton mentioned, simplifying the playbook a little bit, or how do we balance the 
let Rook, Russ cook versus this is Sean Payton's offense. That's something that I, I can tell they're still working through. Um, but I saw glimpses of the old Russ, which I did not see much of at all. And I'm eager to see what they do this week because the Dolphins defense does have an improved pressure, but they have some holes on that defense. And we saw them in week one give up a lot in the running game. I'm curious how Javante Williams kind of goes about in that run game. We haven't seen a, a huge jump from him yet, but as he gets healthier throughout the season, I'd imagine we see a little bit more of his old style. And then I do think that they can have some some exploiting of this pass D. You know, Xavier Howard has, has been a really good corner for a while, but he can get beat at times. And, and um, Eli Apple has been really targeted a bunch um, mm-hmm. from teams early on. He's their other outside corner when they go into three wide. And so there's some opportunities I'd imagine for, for Russ to get the ball to Jerry Judy, to Cortland Sutton, um, to Marvin Mims, some guys down the field um, to be able to get some plays. So I think they can actually score on this defense. Um, I don't know if they can stop the other side though. Yeah. That's, that's going to be the, the question mark, which is a kind of has been sort of a, I guess a disappointment for a lot of Broncos fans so far, because you're, you're right that um, Russell Wilson and that offense they have been better. They're actually leading the league in points per drive right now, which is given what this offense was last year. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely. They scored They scored six touchdowns, took them five weeks to get to that mark in 2022. So the offense is doing some some good things. And I think if the you know if you're the, the glass half full thing is saying, hey, this is just two weeks in, they're clearly have some more explosive capability. But you turn it around the other end, and this defense that was really, really good last year, at least for the mm-hmm. first half of the season – um, has really struggled so far. And, and part of it is they're not, they haven't been able to get that base pressure. Vance right. Joseph has had to blitz a lot. And, and that's really the only way that they can get home. And that's left them susceptible to the explosive play. That's about the worst kind of situation you could have going into this kind of offense. If they don't get that pressure with the front four and you're having to blitz a lot, you're, you're kind of leaving yourself susceptible. So that to me is going to be from a Broncos perspective, like, can you, you know, can guys like Randy Gregory, um, you know, Nick Benito get get home a little bit more frequently. Um, you know, Zach Allen, their interior pass rusher. I think they need to see a little bit more from him. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's going to be shots for the Broncos to to get in it. But their whole thing is if they if they get behind, if they're not in the driver's seat or at least kind of neck and neck, it, it gets to be a situation where they have a hard time protecting when they're a pass only a yeah. pass only team. So that that'll be the interesting thing. That makes a lot of sense. This offense is hard to stop early. It's hard to stop late. And so um, the one thing that that's that defenses have had so much trouble with with Tua is that it's not so much that the offensive line has been great. They've been good. They haven't been great. The, the Dolphins I'm speaking to. Tua just yeah. gets the ball out of his hands so quick. And, and I read a stat this week, uh, yesterday that I think sums it up. He leads the NFL as far as the quickest time to throw. Mm-hmm. But he also leads the NFL in yards per attempt downfield. Yeah. So you're getting the ball out more quicker than any other quarterback, but you're also throwing it deeper than any other quarterback. And so you Wait, don't go so deep. Is that thing? I, I don't know. I don't know. These are just what the numbers say. <laughs> um, yeah. And so those things don't necessarily coincide, but it also makes it difficult for any defense, particularly one that that struggles to get home quickly. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Well, Cameron, man, we can't wait to see you out in Miami this weekend. Really appreciate you coming on Not Another Bucking Podcast. Um, people can find your work on, on, on Twitter, at NFL Network. You're, you're, you're everywhere, man. Love seeing you. Love, love seeing you do your thing. Uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you, Nick. All right. Thanks, thanks everybody, to listening. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, let us know what you think, and we'll see you uh, after the game Sunday night.